the Lord just a hand. Man, what a great... Always blessed going on those trips. Pastor Mike, Pastor Jim did a great job with our, our, our young people, and I had to babysit Wayne the whole week, so that was my job, and uh, that was fun. Um, it's been a couple weeks since I've been up here. I am itching to go, so we're going to spend about an hour and a half in the Word today because I've got two sermons to preach to you. No, I'm just teasing. Um, uh, we, we had a wonderful time, and, and always um, I have to remind myself that it's about souls. That's the bottom line. It, it's about people. And we contextualize the gospel maybe through a soccer camp or through VBS or building a building. But, but those are the peripheral things. The, the real reason we're there is for souls. Jesus told us to go into all the world. And whether it's here in, in Ontario where we're reaching souls through different outreaches that we have through our church, or it's going almost 3,000 miles away to Panama, the bottom line is Jesus told us to go. And, 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 and I want to bridge this into the message today as we've been going through the Bible and we've been looking at the major stories of the Bible and, and how they fit into the ultimate story of the Bible. I want to look at today, just ask, ask the question and just pose the question to you this morning. What is my ministry? What, what is my purpose? What, what, what am I here for? What, what, does, what does God want me to do with my life? And, and I love this part of the story as we're uh, going through the Bible. appreciate uh, Russell Eisen did a great job. I listened to his message last week. I appreciate what he shared last week about Christ and who he is and the uniqueness of Jesus. And what I want to look at today as we look through the story is, is um, how we fit into the story of, of bringing Jesus to this world. And that's really what it's about. We, we, are, we are all about reaching people for Christ. It's all about reaching souls for Jesus. And it really is answering the call of God in my life to realize that my life is more than just going to work and punching a clock. It's, it's, it's more than just my hobbies. It's more than the things I enjoy. That God actually wants to take those things and to cause us to realize that I've allowed you to be in those places for a reason. And I think the reason why we lack joy in our life and the reason why we kind of get in a funk in our life and we, we kind of meander through our life and, and, and not really knowing what, what, what we're here for is because we miss the calling of God in our life. And, and I want to look at a man today that understood exactly what his purpose was, exactly what his calling was. And what his calling was, was to prepare people to meet Jesus. If you can get this, in, if, if you can get this into your heart, in your life, that your whole purpose in life is to invite people to introduce people to Jesus, it will radically change the way you look at everything that you do. It will. It will change the way you look at your job. It'll change the way you look at your daily activities. If you can realize that my purpose in life is to simply prepare people to meet Jesus, and that should give us the greatest joy. And this man, John the Baptist, what his whole ministry was, was to prepare people to meet Jesus. And he even says that it was his joy to do this. I, I want there to be a joy in my life that every day I wake up, it's a new opportunity to say, you know what? This is a new day that I have an opportunity to invite and to share the love of Jesus with someone that may not, may not know that. And so what, what, what I want to look at here is what's interesting about the word of God is that you see 
The last book is Malachi, or if you're telling Malachi uh, in the Old Testament. So you see the last book, Malachi, who was a prophet. And then for 400 years, which is the intertestament time, where we hear no prophetic word for 400 years from Malachi to we see Jesus coming onto the scene. We don't hear anything. There's nothing really written that we, we have in the, the canonization of, of, of the word of God. We, we don't hear anything. But I want to show you something that some great things were happening. God wasn't silent. That God was preparing the way, preparing the soil for Jesus Christ to come onto the scene. God uses John the Baptist to do this. But God also used some pretty interesting characters to prepare the soil for Jesus to come onto the scene. And one of those uh, people that God used was Alexander the Great. Over 300 years before uh, Christ came onto the scene, at age 23, Alexander the Great would set out from Macedonia and in just 10 short years would conquer all the lands from Macedonia all the way to India. Greek influence would spread all over the known world at that time. And, and, and in fact, during this time, the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint came out during this time and it became the Bible for Greek-speaking Jews outside of Israel. Alexander the Great's influence would help unify a world with a common language, which was called Koine Greek. And this would work in the favor of spreading the gospel because this was the common language all over all these countries. And so God would ultimately be in control and know the perfect time to send the Savior. Now, right right as and right before Jesus was born, Rome took over. And uh, right before the birth of Christ, there would be a leader in Rome. His name would be Caesar Augustus or his real name, Octavian. And what's really interesting about Augustus is he came onto the scene right as Christ was going to burst forth into this world. It's really interesting what he thought of himself, what what Caesar uh, Augustus thought of himself. There is a, 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 an inscription that was found in, in, in which is now modern day Turkey around 900 BC in Prianin. And in Prianin, they found this description of what Caesar Augustus thought of himself. Let, let, let me quote to you what it said. It says this. This is what the inscription said of Caesar Augustus. It says, since Providence, Providence was a goddess, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our lives, has set perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue, that he might benefit mankind, sending him as a savior. Interesting. Both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance excelled even our anticipation, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the God, of the God, Augustus, was the beginning of good tidings, good tidings for the world. Now, here was the word that Augustus gave to himself that he was going to be the one that was going to be the savior of the world. That he was the one that was going to bring glad tidings. Now, we know, obviously, reading this, 
of uh, elevating Augustus to a deity status is absolutely uh, ridiculous. But it's interesting, at this very time, the true savior of the world would burst forth onto the scene. But even though we would look at Augustus and think he was nuts, uh, what Augustus did leave us was Pax Romana, which means Roman peace. And for 200 years, Rome would flex its power and influence. And it was through this, the gospel would, th- uh, would spread. God knew exactly what he was doing. It was through this Pax Romana, the gospel flourished. And it was during this time that God raises up this man, this, this man that was completely opposite of of, of Caesar Augustus, completely polar opposite. This prophet would, would come in complete contrast to Alexander, who died of a, a very horrible death, and Augustus. And he would be the forerunner of Jesus. And from that moment on, the world would never be the same. And this is the person I want to talk about today. And this is what I'm hoping for us today, that we understand what our ministry is and what our calling is. And I believe we can glean so much from John the Baptist. Now, I want to read a couple of things. If you've got your Bibles, you can look at the screen. Let's look at John chapter 1 because it describes the calling of John and his purpose for coming and why God sent him before Jesus. And let's read this, verses 6 through 9. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into this world. Now, John the Baptist is very interesting to me because by far he's probably the greatest figure to come onto the scene besides Jesus himself. Even Jesus said this of John the Baptist in Matthew eleven eleven, where Jesus says, truly, I say to you, remember what the word truly, truly means? Anybody remember a couple weeks ago? Hey, there you go. Amen. Somebody said you were listening. Praise God. Guys, listen. Okay. It says, truly, I say to you, amen. Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is even greater than he. And what John came to do is he came preaching repentance. He was getting in the face of the religious of the time. The religious people were asking him questions. Who are you? Who are you uh, dressed in your camel hair dress, eating locust and honey? He was, just, he was just a weird cat. If we were to see him today, we would just probably marginalize him and just say, this guy's off his rocker. But God sent him for a purpose. He, he was completely opposite of anything that, that uh, anybody around him. But he was getting very popular. And in fact, thousands were following and listening to him and being baptized by him. And uh, many of the religious leaders were kind of lifting their heads up and saying, we need to take notice of this guy. What, what's, his, what, what's his deal? What, what is he doing? He's having all these followers. Thousands of people are following. He's baptizing all these people into repentance. He's preparing the way for the Christ to come. And so John the Baptist, in, in the end there of John chapter 1 and verse 19 through 22, there's a testimony that John gives of himself. And the word says here in verse 19, it says, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And then they asked him, then, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. He goes, are you a prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? 
We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he says this, and he quotes Isaiah some 700 years previous. He quotes the prophet Isaiah and says, I'm a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John gives his reason. I am the fulfillment of what Isaiah spoke about some 700 years earlier. I am proclaiming and making the way for Jesus's coming. Now, what's interesting about John the Baptist's ministry is that it actually overlapped with Jesus's ministry coming onto the scene. John knew as Jesus became more in the forefront, he would literally have to step out of the way. And what John shows here is some incredible humility and understood exactly what his role was. He was preparing the way for Jesus. Everything was about Jesus. Listen to what he says there later on in that chapter in John chapter 1. Look at verse 25. It says, they asked him, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor a prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not even worthy to untie. And then the very next day, we read in this verse, in verse 29, Jesus comes onto the scene. It says, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Now, John was born before Jesus, but he recognizes the deity of Christ, that he was before me, that he is God. Now, here's the interesting thing. John, with having these thousands of followers and having disciples that were following him and baptizing all these people, John could have easily gotten full of himself. He, he could have easily said, look at all my disciples. Look at how many I've baptized. Look at how many people follow me. He could have gotten a, a huge ego trip. But we can learn so much about John the Baptist and the calling that God gave him. And I believe this needs to be driven into each and every one of our hearts as we walk our Christian walk before Christ. Anytime, listen to me closely, anytime we have an audience, anytime we have a platform, anytime we're in leadership, anytime that we may lead people, anytime we may have influence, we can easily fall into this trap that I take the credit that it's because of me it's because of what i have done it's hard not to take the credit when popularity is on your side and every pastor struggles with with this anyone that's in leadership can struggle with this the bigger the audience the greater the chance of taking the credit and that your opinion and that your wisdom matters and we can all fall into this trap of wanting people to like us or fall in that trap of, of pleasing people. But I have to remind myself that what is more important is how I'm allowing Jesus to be seen through me. What matters most in my life is did people see Jesus in me? What, 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 was that the most important thing? It's not, was I in the forefront? Was what I said the most important thing? The most important thing should be in my life is did they see Jesus in me, because at the end of the day, how many of you know 
that Barton Gerace or any one of us can't help anyone. It's Jesus. He's the one that transforms lives. He's the one that we're bringing people to. He's the one that we want people to glorify. He's the one that we want people to know in a personal way. He's the one that transforms our lives from a life that was destitute, headed to hell, to transform our hearts and lives by forgiving our sins and giving us the gift of eternal life through his grace. Jesus is the one that does that. All we are is we're just the ones that stand in the middle that tell people to come. That's all we are. We're the ones that stand in the middle and say, hey, let me just introduce you to this person, Jesus. He's the one that can change your life. It's, it's not about me. I don't want to get in the way of someone knowing Jesus. I don't want my ego or my personality or any of these things to get in the way of somebody knowing Jesus. And for John, this could have been the very thing that he could have easily battled with. But at the end of the day, John understood what his role was. People, we need to know what our role is. Our role is not to be a big mouth in the kingdom of God. Our role is to be servants. How, how much can I serve? And that's the reason why I go on missions trips. That's the reason why I love taking people overseas because we don't get it in the States. We don't. Can I just preach for a minute? I'm getting hyper. Is it okay? Give me a little latitude here, okay? Here's what I'm saying. Listen to me. I love the United States. Praise God for the United States. But, but we live in a very self-serving country. Everything revolves around us. We live in a country where we expect certain things to be done a certain way. There's this mentality that we deserve things. But when you go to a foreign country, you go to a, 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 a very poor country. You don't see these expectations. And, and what I loved when I saw on the missions trip, when, I, when we're working side by side with the Panamanians and when we're working very hard, what I'd love to see is that last Sunday when we were worshiping with those Panamanians and those men and women that were working by our sides, by our sides they were just worshiping the Lord with their families and loving Jesus and doing his will. I love to see that. They didn't expect anything. They didn't, they didn't, there wasn't this sense of entitlement in their hearts. And we've got to be so careful because living in the United States, there's a sense of entitlement that I deserve it because I've done these things. But as a follower of Christ, we've got to get to the point in our lives where we have to say, I don't deserve a thing. I don't deserve anything. It's all because of God's grace. And so what, what, what John did here, what I love is John, just because he had a lot of followers, didn't think that he could come against Christ or upstage Jesus. He knew that his job was done. Let's read this because it got a little, it got a little hairy here. Um, Towards the end of John's ministry, his disciples came to him and began to kind of talk. They began to kind of whisper in John's ear saying, hey, um, that guy, Jesus, you're talking about, he's over on the other side there and he's starting to get a lot of disciples and he's starting to baptize more people than us. Are you going to do something about that? What's up with that? And so the question could have been one of John's greatest temptations to take the glory or be jealous or criticize Jesus's ministry by saying something like, you know, well, they're not doing it the right way. 
You're supposed to baptize this way. We do it this way, but they're doing it that We baptize better than they do. Right? Easy to criticize other churches, right? They don't do it like this. They don't do it like this. And little bit by little bit, we try to sabotage other ministries. Let's be careful. They're not doing it that way. We still have more baptism than that. I just, hey, I got the latest count, John, and we have 536 more baptism than, than them. So we're, we're, still, we're still better than them, right? Here is John's response, which I believe is incredible. He shows his heart and motivation, and not once does he give in to temptation to prop himself up. Listen to how John answers their question. This is beautiful. John chapter 3, verse 26 and 30, he says this. And they came to John and they said, Rabbi, he, he was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Talking about Jesus. Look, he's baptizing. And they're all going to him. They're going to him now. Wait a minute. They're supposed to be going to you. And John answers, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. John didn't take credit for a thing. He says, God has given it all to me and God can take it all away. He says, you yourselves bore me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And I love these words. What does John say? He must increase. And I must decrease. I love what John Piper says. Wonderful pastor. He says something to this degree that I am most satisfied when he is most glorified in me. Is your life satisfied? Are you looking for glory? Are you most satisfied when he is most glorified in you? You see, John says, I did my job. My job now is complete. I need to fade out of the picture. In fact, John would, would become beheaded because of his faith in God. And he would exit the scene. He did what he was called to do. John's purpose was not to upstage Jesus. But his role, he said, was to be the friend of the bridegroom. You see, the friend of the bridegroom does everything possible to, to prepare the bride for the wedding. And as soon as as the friend of the bridegroom hears the voice of the bridegroom, he knows his job is done preparing the bride for her husband. So this is what happens. The minute John heard the preaching of Jesus, that was the voice. That was the voice that he has come. And that the friend of the bridegroom now steps away and he prepares the bridegroom to meet his bride. Jesus is now, his ministry has begun. John steps out of the way and says, my job is done. I've heard Jesus' preaching. I'm done now. I need to decrease. He must increase now. 
And this is exactly what John did for Jesus. Once he heard his preaching, he knew that his job was done. Those of you that have girls, you know what I'm talking about. I want to do, I have a 13 year old girl, so I want to do all I can to prepare Lily when she's about 45 years old for her husband. Okay. We pray that Kathleen and I will do our best to prepare our daughter for her husband. That one day I would stand out of the way and, and with every bit of me, try to hand her over to that new man, that new covering in her life. My job is done. I walk out of the way. I stand back and I say, God, do your work in her heart with her new spouse. Right? Now I've got two boys. I can't wait till they get out of the house. I have two teenage boys. If anybody wants two teenage boys, you can have them. They're eating me out of house and home. I can't afford them anymore. They're too expensive. Okay? So if you want to, I'll rent them to you. It's cheaper. See, here's the deal. What is my calling in life? Very simple. You decrease so that he may increase. Your calling in your life is that people may know who Jesus is. Your job is to introduce people to the very one who saved you. That's your job. That's it. It it may come in different forms. It may be in a pastor. It may be in someone that's working out in the world. Whatever it is, we all have the same calling. And that's to introduce people to Jesus. That he's the one. He's the one. He's the one that came into this world. He's the one you're looking for. The reason why you're not satisfied in your life, the reason why you keep searching is because you haven't come to Jesus. Let me show you how to come to Jesus. That's why... We do the outreaches we do in our church. That's why we go 3,000 miles away because we want to answer the call of Jesus because it's about souls. It's about introducing people to Jesus. There's a, there's a young man on the job site. His name was Peblo. And I remember him from last year. And... Um, he doesn't go to church, but he, he, he'll, he'll, come on, he'll come on the job site and work with us. He worked with us last year, and then um, he came with us this year. And I tried to invite him to church, and he wouldn't come to church that turkey, but I'm praying that he will. And, uh, but he'd always hang out with me. He'd always be right there. And, and my prayer for him is that he would know Jesus. That that church that we built would be a vehicle and a tool because he lives right next door to the church. Right next door. There's another man on the job site named Sergio. He worked with us last year, a very hard worker. I don't know if he goes to that church. He didn't come to church service. Uh, he didn't come to the closing thing we had last year, but I noticed he did come to church this year, but he stand way in the back it, it behind everybody, you know, and my prayer is that he would come to know Jesus. See, it's all about us introducing people to Jesus. The people that you work with, your family members, keep praying for them. Keep being that example. Don't, don't get, 
you know, it's so easy to get offended when they, when they don't come to Christ right away. And, and it's so easy for our egos to get in the way. And it's so easy for us to take things personal like they're rejecting us. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the message at this point. They're convicted. Who's not convicted when someone points out your sin? Right? That's convicting. We don't like it. But it's through that conviction that we realize that we're wrong. It's through that word of the truth of God that we realize that something's amiss in my heart. And that through the grace and mercy of Christ, he comes in and forgives us that we can find the power of forgiveness and healing in our life. So here's our goal today. Here's our takeaway today. Let's keep a servant's attitude. Let's be careful with the attitude of entitlement. Let's just guard against, because I'm just as guilty of that as anyone else. And let's realize we don't deserve anything, that our job is just like John said, to decrease that he might increase. Let's keep that in mind as we reach our world with Jesus, with his love and his mercy. And so as we come to the table of the Lord today, let's just bow our hearts before him today. Let's really worship. Let's, I, I just want you to have such a heart of thankfulness for what he's done for you. Let him change your heart today. Let him, let him just do a deeper work in your soul for what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. And as we come to the table today, Let's remind ourselves that he forgave me, a wicked sinner who didn't deserve a thing. Jesus forgave me. And let's be grateful. And then let's take that heart of gratitude and the grace that Jesus has bestowed upon us and let's give that to the world. Let's show them the love of Christ by how we serve them and how we introduce them to Jesus Christ. Let's be careful of our judgmental attitudes. May we decrease so that he may increase. So Lord, we come before you today. Lord, I just pray that you would forgive us today. Forgive me of my bad attitude that I get. Forgive me, God, when I lose focus of why I'm here and what we're doing and the purpose of why we're doing it. Let us have the same attitude of John that he realized that his life was all about preparing the way for those to meet Jesus. May we do that in our lives, God. May we decrease so that he might increase. God, may we see the world. God, may we speak the truth. John spoke the truth. John spoke of repentance. John baptized in repentance because He knew that hearts needed to be ready and prepared. And I pray that, God, we would repent today. That our hearts would be prepared and ready. So that, God, we would have the right attitude as we love this world. That that judgmental attitude and pointing the finger, God, doesn't lead anyone to Jesus. That, God, through your grace and mercy, we would reach out to this world with your love. So we thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for this time as we gather on the table to recognize the great sacrifice that Jesus paid, the ultimate sacrifice that he paid with his very life, that we might know and experience his love and forgiveness and healing. And for that, we are so grateful. And we just love you. We praise you. And we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' wonderful name.
Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.